Hi, I'm Ben Rizzuto, wealth strategist at Janice Henderson Investors. Is a brighter future possible? At Janice Henderson, we think it is. For 90 years, we've worked to help clients achieve superior financial outcomes and fulfill our purpose of investing in a brighter future together. We know that this means our thinking and our investments are helping to shape millions of futures. At Janice Henderson, we are committed to helping you invest in a brighter future for the next 90 years and beyond. To learn more, go to JaniceHenderson.com. Market moving insight and analysis. Join Jim Cramer, David Faber, and me, Carl Quintanilla, on the opening bell hour of CNBC Squawk on the Street. Good Thursday morning. Welcome to Squawk on the Street. I'm Carl Quintanilla with Jim Cramer and David Faber at the New York Stock Exchange. Bulls trying to put a five-session losing streak to bed this morning. Futures green, although some of that is pinned to oil, up 5% on news of this Keystone pipeline interruption in Nebraska. A jobless claims a 10-month high on a continuing basis. Our roadmap begins with stocks looking to bounce back after five days down. Tesla continues to drag on the Nasdaq. Plus Exxon's updated capital plans, the oil giant looking to boost its buybacks, reduce greenhouse gas emissions, and double cash flow by 2027. And we've also got an exclusive interview for you with Blackstone's president, John Gray. We're gonna be talking about concerns over the company's BREIT business. Let's begin with the markets trying to rebound. The S&P, as we said, coming off five straight negative days. Yesterday, it was uh, Citi's chief, uh, Jane Fraser talking about the economy, warning that the U.S. might be headed toward a recession. Go to the States. You know, it's uh, compared to elsewhere in the world, it is good to be American. Uh, and I think we've seen the resiliency in the economy. Obviously, things are softening. We're anticipating that um, the chairman Powell is going to have the rates while they slow, that they're higher than the market would like for and for longer, and that that's therefore more likely to be a recession in the sometime in the second half of next year. Pretty consistent with what she said all year, Jim, but your complaint this week has been that the bank CEOs are too gloomy. Well, I just think they need to be more constructive. I'm not asking for optimism. I'm asking for constructive dialogue where you basically talk about, obviously, there's risks, but there's also rewards. And the idea that you just kind of just say, listen, likely to enter a recession uh, because they're looking at what the, the twos and the tens. What's constructive dialogue, though, versus well, not being I, optimistic? What do you mean? OK, well, I, I think the idea that you're trying to decide, uh, make a decision about whether we'll enter a recession or not, I think is, is when you're a banker. All right. And you're regarded as someone who is a statesperson that we listen to. I think it's very important to talk about the actual inputs. Do you see anything at your bank that indicates recession? But don't and you think that you don't think that Jane Frazier or Jamie Dimon or David Solomon, I should call him David Recession Solomon, can ask the guy, how's the weather, David? Recession, recession. OK, um, but, uh, you know, you don't think that they're seeing things that bring this to the fore for them? Well, I'm sure. But you can also be seeing things that are quite good. I mean, uh, how do we have great cash balance in going to recession? How do we have such incredible job uh, demand and go into recession? I think that you have to explain the quandary of what we could have and therefore open up the quizzical situation where everybody can get a job and yet we have recession. What kind of recession is that? I'd like to be able to see it's difficult for me or for them to say, here's what an inflation environment can produce because we haven't been in one in a long time. I want more of a... Of a uh, a discussion about how you could have what you see in your dashboard and a recession 
as opposed to just sticking your finger up and saying there's got to be recession. That's all. I'm, I'm saying that when we look at things, we often wonder how they happen. And th- given the fact that these banks are very big banks and they have a good panoply of things, how did they reach this conclusion? It's interesting because uh, uh, David's point about uh, David Solomon, I mean, the House view at Goldman is that a recession is not likely. Correct. Which is strange. There's a weird split there. Right. Now, I, look, you can't ask I me. Mean, maybe we're all supposed to love the fact that in a democracy you can have many different views. But I'm confused by Solomon versus Costin. I mean, I, I, I'm confused by Sembolus versus Diamond. The, these are really good strategists who have analyzed the situation have fantastic empirical data, which would indicate otherwise. And yet their spokespeople have decided to make it so that we have a collective sense of gloom, which can be very self-fulfilling. Do you think it's to get leverage to reduce headcount or uh, do reductions in force or bring pay in? I think you, you don't need that. You just do it. I mean, the great industrials know how to do that. I think that these people are just, look, actually Goldman, I saw a department one day, there was a department, and then the next day I went down there and the department vanished. And no one said anything, but that was, but of course it was private company. But you do seem to be questioning the motives behind it to the extent that you don't think it's simply based on the fact that as the chief executive, you do have a pretty broad view of the overall business lines. Well, I think And you may be seeing things that give you concern. Well, you may be seeing things that give you concern in the same sense that, you know what, we had Hurricane Sandy. And Sandy's always given me concerns since Sandy. But that doesn't mean that it should be front and center. I want to know how it's possible to have a view of a recession, given the fact that your bank is more solvent than it's ever been, and that therefore it should be able to help make it so that whatever happens, a slowdown, is muted. But more important, these people do not recognize their power. And I see in here more people who say, you know what, I am not going to do what I was going to do because I heard Jamie Dimon. Now, if that's because because people have very little trust in politicians, all Democrats say the economy is great or Republicans say the economy is awful. So we can't trust them at all. Right. They're, they're the guys who you really can't trust. So we look for these neutral figures of banks and we want to hear, well, look, how's the, how is your does, does your consumer have more money in the bank than before? Is your consumer leverage? Are, what's your situation with jobs? These are impure. I want empirical, not rhetoric. OK. I want empirical, not anecdotal. And I don't want to hear that, you know what, I feel there's a recession because I feel there's a recession. I mean, that's not, that's kind of like what Frank Sluton said to me uh, when I asked him about your guidance. Uh, he's the CEO of Snowflake. And he said, the guidance is the guidance. <laughs> I know, well, he, I know he did. Well, there you go. Or maybe what Matt Furlong said at the end of the, uh, at the GameStop conference call. The path carries risk and is taking time, but it is the path we are on. I mean, these are the things you can set. And I would like a little more, uh, I don't want pablum, a negative pablum. I want empirical data. And they have the empirical data because these banks are gigantic. They know more about the government than the government. Well, one bit of data we're looking at today are gas prices, uh, now officially lower than they were Thank you. Uh, a year ago, down about 47 cents from last month's average. Uh, oil's down 4% year-to-date, hits 72 yesterday, Jim, uh, despite the pop this morning. Well, how about the fact that I had Campbell's soup on last night? I had, uh, I had a Hormel on the week before. Is anyone even talking about the fact that wheat is at a 14-month low? $7.22. I mean, there's a domestic glut of wheat in Russia. I mean, we had a shortage of wheat a year ago. Now, this bogus move right now on oil uh, off the Keystone, I mean, that 
Do you know the stock market futures started going up after this Keystone leak as if they're in lockstep with, gas, with uh, oil? I mean, there are some silly things going on. But when I hear the things that we all just said and I listen to the bank people, I think that the bank people are out of touch with what's yeah. going on in the country. Um, of course, we also had ExxonMobil giving us sort of new, uh, its new corporate plan, so to speak. Not that different from the old corporate plan, right. but uh, an increase in what they're spending on low-carbon solutions uh, from $15 billion to $17 billion. That's a 15% overall increase. Uh, you know, certainly things are going to be focused on at ExxonMobil. We actually had an interview about it all about a month ago with Dan Ammon. Uh, you know, that deal they did for CF to help third parties capture carbon. That's going to be an important component of the business going forward. Emissions reductions, obviously, taking the Permian down to net zero. Their production number is going to be flat uh, year over year. But they've shut down Sockland. That's 65,000 right. right. barrels a day. But they were a source of growth. Yeah. And we know that a lot of the oil companies are, are only going to grow at incremental amounts because they want to return more money to shareholders. And that's like the old days when all they knew was if you had a dollar in, you should go spend $2 drilling. They don't do that anymore. All these prices right here are in relation to the fact that this Keystone leak, they'll all go disappear at the moment, probably in an hour and a half, to get a statement that says that the Keystone's under control. And all those gains will be given up. Yeah. We're going to keep the A Block short this morning because uh, David's got an exclusive with Blackstone's John Gray. Uh, that's coming up in the next few minutes. Take a look at the pre-market, as we said. Uh, green arrows on this Thursday, coming off of claims. 230K was in line, but continuing claims the highest since February. Back in a moment. Let's get straight to the point. You want to grow your portfolio to fight rising costs of inflation or pay off your debt or anything standing in the way of you and financial freedom, right? Yahoo Finance, our sponsor today, can help. For more than 25 years, Yahoo Finance has been helping great investors like you. Whether you're a seasoned investor or just looking for tips, Yahoo Finance makes it super easy by putting all the tools and data you need in one spot. Yahoo Finance takes a holistic look at the financial news cycle, including breaking news, original editorial perspectives, analyst ratings, independent research, customizable charts, and more. You can securely link your brokerage accounts for a unified view of your wealth, including 401k and other investments. That's how Yahoo Finance gives you insights and helps you take a look at your wealth in its entirety. That big picture perspective is what great investors need. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor. YahooFinance.com, the number one financial destination. YahooFinance.com. That's YahooFinance.com. One week ago, Blackstone's highly successful B-REIT notified its investors that requests to repurchase ownership stakes in the REIT had exceeded the 2% monthly and 5% quarterly limit. The news has since been a focus for Blackstone investors, given B-REIT's importance to the fee-related earnings at the uh, uh, alternative asset giant. Here to discuss the future of B-REIT is Blackstone's president and COO, John Gray. John, good to have you this morning. Um, I'm glad we could talk about this. You know, yesterday, uh, your company CEO, Steve Schwartzman, at a conference said uh, that he finds the concerns over B-Read a bit, quote, baffling. I'm, one, I'm curious, do you share that bafflement? And if so, you know, what is it that people who are concerned uh, about don't fully understand? Well, David, thanks for having me. And definitely, I share Steve's bafflement here. Um, what's happened here has been very surprising given our performance. Um, and I think it's really been a disconnect between performance and fund flows. And what I think would be helpful uh, to make, to help people understand sort of this disconnected reality is to go back in time a bit. 
We set up BREIT six years ago with the goal of delivering great performance to individual investors in private real estate led by our world-class franchise. And that is exactly what's happened. We've delivered 13% net to our customers over that period, three times the public read index. We've done it because we've had the right portfolio positioning, 70% in the Sunbelt states, which are growing really rapidly, 80% in logistics and rental housing, the fastest growing sectors in real estate. We would have been in a much different position if we had bought office buildings or enclosed shopping malls. And 90% of the debt we fixed for six and a half years, the last couple of years, as we got concerns about rising inflation and interest rates. We also set up the product with limitations on liquidity. We described it as semi-liquid because we knew at some point there would be periods of volatility and we didn't want to have to sell assets at the wrong time under pressure. And so we put limitations in place, including a 5% cap in terms of quarterly liquidity and redemptions. And so what happened this year is we saw some selling pressure from Asia, given the market moves there, that led to some news articles and elevated levels of redemptions, which you reference. But the key thing here is that performance has delivered and the structure we put in place is operating exactly as we intended six years ago. So we're incredibly right. uh, proud of the performance and the structure. And we've spent a lot of time on this program, I certainly have, talking about the great success and the inflows that you saw not even that long ago, making this obviously a very significant fee generator. But John, you can't blame investors, whether Asian or otherwise, from looking at the publicly traded REITs that may be down as much as 30 or 35 percent, looking at their own piece of B REIT up 10 percent and saying, time to sell, right? I mean, that would seem to make sense, wouldn't it? Well, I would say this. If you take a long-term perspective and see how we've outperformed public markets over time, I would argue the case investing with us makes a lot of sense. And there's been some concern raised on your programs and other, do our valuations make sense? Are they lagging? Yes. And on that point, what I'd point out is we've sold $5 billion of property this year, most of it in the second half of the year, at prices above our carrying values. We've also grown our cash flows in BREIT 13%. 65% higher than the public REIT market. And we put in place these hedges, which generated $5 billion of gains this year. Now we're gonna give some of that back as rates have come down in the short term, but long term, that's very beneficial. And then to your question on the public REIT market, what's interesting is the public REIT market often trades well above asset value and at times well below. So in COVID, Public REITs went down 45%. That didn't happen in the private REIT market. During uh, 2021 in our big sectors, public REITs went up 63%. We didn't mark to that level because our focus is on delivering private real estate value. So we feel like we built a portfolio that is perfectly positioned for the environment we're in. Right. But, you know, when I talk to other real estate professionals, John, they, they point to the marks and they believe ultimately that they will have to come down due to changing market conditions. And they say, yes, you're going to make that argument about increasing cash flows, your apartment portfolio, rents are going to keep going up. But they come back and say to me, yeah, but you know what? B-Retrade's at a cap rate, even though you don't 
give us that specifically on, let's call it four plus percent. Publicly traded REITs closer to 6%. That's gonna catch up with you. That's where the disconnect is. And ultimately, that's why marks have to come down. How do you respond to that? Well, we have been moving up our cap rates, lowering our multiples. We've been moving up our discount rates. We've publicly disclosed that our exit cap rates are in the mid fives in our main sectors, a material movement from where they were at the beginning of the year. And again, what drove our performance was the strong cash flow growth, the dividends we pay out, and the benefit of the interest rate hedge. And that was offset by those cap rates. And then I would go again to the fact that we sold $5 billion of properties above our values. And then I would right. make another comment, David, which is just about as you look forward here, real estate is fundamentally about supply and demand. And what we have in housing in the United States is a chronic shortage since the financial crisis in logistics, huge demand because of e-commerce and now companies desire for redundant inventory. And then we also have the benefit of below market rents in our portfolio. So we feel good about the positioning, even as rents moderate here in a more challenging economic climate. Um, do you think that there was a failure amongst a lot of the investor base to understand the terms by which they were investing? I don't think so. I think the big concern, I was up in Boston yesterday talking with a number of our financial advisor partners. The big concern is that because a subset of investors decide to seek liquidity, that the investors who remain in the vehicle somehow will, will have a worse outcome. And that goes back to the importance of the structure we put in place. It's so important that we have a vehicle where there are limitations on liquidity. It's critically important that we run the uh, vehicle with $9 billion of immediate liquidity, that we own a large portfolio of real estate debt securities, and then that we own high quality, high performing real estate that we can right. sell if needed. So I, I think um, that's what gives us a lot of confidence. Will you, will you need to start selling uh, at, a, at a more uh, aggressive pace in order to meet what may be future redemptions? Well, I think there'll be a mix of approaches given all those tools we have. I think you will see some selling by us, yes, but because of the structure, we can do it over time. Because we have raised those cap rates, we believe we'll sell at our marks, hopefully higher, and we can do it in an orderly way that continues to create value for shareholders. But as I said, because of the liquidity we have, the limitations of accessing liquidity, we can do this in a really orderly way if it's needed. And of course, right. it's very Let's possible here, the flows can change as investors get more confidence about the performance over time. They can, they can, but right now those same investors may be frustrated. I mean, they see you getting management fees on capital appreciation uh, that you're at least valuing at a current level, but they can't get liquidity at that same level of capital appreciation. I've heard you say it already, but it's not a great look for Blackstone, is it? You know, that I, I want out of BREIT and I can't get out. Well, I think the important thing to remind investors is that we set this up as a long-term vehicle. We set it up as a private real estate investment vehicle. We said at the beginning, it's semi-liquid. It wasn't designed as a mutual right. fund with daily liquidity. And I would go back to performance. If you're a customer in BREIT and you've gotten this performance, 13% compounded for six years, 
up this year when the rest of your assets are down 20, 25%, you look at Blackstone and you say, wow, you guys have done an incredible job deploying our capital in exactly the right geographies, exactly the right sectors with the right balance sheet. So I think they have confidence in us. They've understood we've set up the right vehicle and that's the message we want to deliver. And so what, what about when January and February and March comes though? I mean, you know, we haven't had a chance, John, I'm not sure we will to get your view of the world here, but things seem to be slowing. Um, you know, I'm just curious, are you expecting redemptions to exceed the 2% monthly and 5% quarterly limit in 2023? I think it's very hard to predict. Obviously, all the noise in the media may make investors nervous. And so you could see elevated levels of redemptions go on for a period of time. But again, at the end of the day, it's about the scoreboard. It's about delivering for customers in the fullness of time. Anything can happen in a month or two, but over long periods of time, when we look back at this, the focus is gonna be, did Blackstone do a good job as a steward of capital? Did they invest the capital in the right spot? And we fundamentally right. believe we've done that. And this structure, again, I think the disconnect, David, is if you look yeah. at Blackstone as a firm, the trade-off has been, We've, people have traded off liquidity for performance. And that's why we've grown to manage nearly a trillion dollars of assets. And that's exactly what's happening here. But is it your expectation that the next monthly marks are going to be down? Well, I can't speak about the future specifically, what will happen. I said that there could be some headwinds around this swap. But I would say again that when we look out, the fundamentals in our two key sectors continue to be very strong and the rents in place are well below the market rents, both of those things give us a lot of confidence over time. Um, I just want to come back to you on the RIA understanding here. It's your belief that the, you know, the registered investment advisors that have been selling B-rate, creating such a success for you, that they fully understood these liquidity issues and that their investors did? Because that's not been my take, John. You know, I think a lot of people sort of were surprised to say, wait a second, I can't get liquid if I want to? Well, it's disclosed on almost everything, uh, every correspondence. It's certainly part of our sales process. We've said this is a semi-liquid product. We talk about that way. We said one of the reasons we can give you better performance is because you're trading away a portion of the liquidity. You're getting access to our capabilities to deploy capital, and it's designed right. as a long-term vehicle. What, what turns the market around here? What ceases redemptions, attracts inflows in your opinion? I think what happens is over time, if performance continues to be good, uh, you know, you guys were talking at the beginning of the program here about the economy slowing, inflation going down. Interestingly, the thing we probably should be talking about is if the long bond stayed down, it's gone down, what, 75, 80 basis points in a short period of time. That's obviously very helpful to real estate values. And I think the key will be performance will drive the turnaround. People will recognize that there is fundamentally solid value here, and this portfolio is extremely well positioned. Um, now, B-Cred, I know we don't have time, but it's facing similar redemptions. I mean, what are your views for next year's economy to the extent that you don't see people continuing to want to access liquidity. Well, I would just mention on Bcred, which is our non-traded BDC, there we've got a portfolio that's 100% floating rate. 
Its yield just went up this week with a dividend increase because Fed rates have obviously gone up. 95% senior debt, and it has uh, 0% default. We think it's a really well-positioned product. And again, we think performance will be good. It's hard to say what's going to happen in the near term. And fund flows may not be what we want in the near term. But we're long-term investors. We're focused on yep. long-term performance, and that is the key for us. John, we're going to leave it there. Uh, look forward to having you back at some point to have a broader discussion about the economy, of course, but wanted to focus, for obvious reasons, on B-Read. Thank you. Thank you, David. Take care. You too. Guys? Didn't get to ask the broader questions there. We, you know, we only have so much time in terms of the housing market and things like that, Jim. Right. I, I think that some of this is, is mechanical. The question you raised, I know it's not supposed to be a short-term fund, but the question you raised about them making money and these people obviously concerned about losing money or losing some of their investment is one that, that money, money, money managers face and have to address. And Jonathan addressed that to his best of ability by saying, listen, we didn't give you liquidity when you signed. And all correspondents said you didn't have the liquidity. So don't now claim the right to liquidity. And, you know, there is a bit of a caveat enter, honorable man. It's not like they didn't tell you that this could ever happen. Right. So I, I thought that was spot on. Yeah. I also feel that what he says about long term does matter. Uh, but what I didn't hear was they've created maybe the single greatest buying opportunity that we've ever seen. Discrepancy between what we are marking versus where they think things are. So we have, we're up in Boston. We're finding investors that can match them. I would like to have heard that so that it's an opportunity. Right. I mean, all I heard was they're, they're wrong. I, but do, if I wrong, also do wonder about those Asian investors. Maybe they saw an opportunity to sell out of B-Read at a, at a significant gain and go into the public REIT market because things, to John's point right now, are trading below at least what he believes the net asset value well, is. I mean, look, if you're at a hedge fund, I was at, ran a hedge fund and one of the investors wanted money and we were supposed to be a liquid and I felt it was right and it almost destroyed my hedge fund. So I understand how they feel. I mean, but maybe if, it, if things are so good in the housing market, then just sell some and meet their demands. Right. If they're that good, well, you know what? I saw a lot of housing disposal during the 2007-2009. Get it done. So, I don't know, Carl, I mean, I listen. Honorable man, obviously caveat emptor. But if it's so good, sell the stuff and give the guys the money. Uh, well, your point about uh, housing certainly is key, especially on a week where we got Toll Brothers. And I know you've referenced their view about what could happen to that business in residential if mortgage rates stabilize well, a little lower here. It, it, you know, look, it's very clear Doug Yearly can sell 8,000 homes if you'd like to. So why can't these people sell a huge number of homes? Doug Yearly's homes are average $900,000. So uh, when the, there's a little bit, I'm not, you know, there's a, this is not an FTX situation. This is simply a situation where there's a valuation discrepancy and an opportunity. And I think that if it's as good as Jonathan Gray said, then wow, Jonathan Gray's team, of which is very wealthy, should just say, look, you know what, we'll buy them. We're, we're that confident. We'll borrow ourselves and buy them. Yeah, although they're already leveraged in that fund to well, a certain extent. Leverage, I, I think the focus for them is going to be more on potentially creating more liquidity to, to you know, meet their redemption needs. I would have liked to heard, you know what, the market's robust. We've got these marks. The marks are real. We'll sell some houses. Why not? Right. Why not do that? I mean, if you and, and I were and, over... And they, and they may, but 
The point, that key differential, obviously, he said, listen, we are selling things at a five plus percent right. cap rate. He did say they're selling yield. A lot. But there is belief that they're marking them still at a lower. They don't give you that number specifically, but although he, you know, at a lower number than the publicly traded REITs, meaning that when you do go to sell an asset, even though the rents may be very strong, you're selling it at a lower number because the yield for it has to be higher. Well, but the fact is they anticipated this could happen and basically said, listen, we don't want to run on the bank that's created by ourselves. Right. Uh, I, I think that if I were in it, I probably would want my money back just because of fear. But there's uh, there's a fear of what ha- your house is worth now versus three months ago. <laughs> uh, let's get the opening bell here on this Thursday and the CNBC Real Time Exchange of the big board. It's AMN Healthcare, a healthcare staffing company, and at the Nasdaq EMLS, the official esports and gaming property of Major League Soccer. Tell you what, whether it's Aaron Judge or Fanatics, valuations in sports. Continue to defy the broader economy. I think that there's become a, a very big disconnect between what a, a team may make and how much you want to pay to win a championship. And I think that rich people have decided, you know what, I don't really care if I lose a lot of money if I get a championship. And I, I think that when you have the, the families out and the hedge fund guys in, well, they're not really in it in order to make money. They're in it to win. And they don't, they're not sensitive. It's kind of like modern art. They're in it to look at it, not to necessarily profit from it. Uh, Energy is definitely going to lead us here this morning, uh, top performing sector. Jim, you mentioned the, the Keystone uh, well, pipeline, but also the China reopening is at play here. That was yesterday, and I thought it would have mattered. It didn't. Now, the Keystone pipeline, let's be sure about this. This is 590,000. Thank you, uh, Rusty Brizzle, for this. It's 590,000 uh, barrels per day. Okay. Uh, and, and it's... We don't know. It's not the Keystone XL, which is the key one. Uh, we don't know how long. Is it days? Is it hours? But we do know this, that 590,000 barrels is not should not cause oil to jump as much as it has. Uh, and it will be fixed. It's a temporary thing. If you want to trade off of that, go ahead. I think that I happen to like oil. But if you don't, this is a great opportunity to sell. Period. End of story. 590,000 barrels. Take it off the market for X number of days. I love it. Now, we do know that when you took off a big, uh, one of these gigantic export facilities of natural gas, that caused a different, a big price, but that, it took forever to fix. Right. I'm saying that this is not going to take that long. Right. Um, we I'm met- still reeling from your interview. Say again? I'm still reeling from your your interview. Really? I'll tell you what. I thought it was pretty straightforward, and I thought uh, Mr. Gray did a a good job answering many of the questions that we've had over the last week about this story. But what it says is, again, if the bankers are so negative, why didn't they listen to him? He's saying, you know what? Real estate's still pretty good. Yeah. And yet there's the bankers saying, you know what? I'm concerned about real estate. I did not hear that from him. Premier owner of real estate in this country right there, so... I mean, he's talking about a cap raise. That's Makes it. Money. They're the biggest owner. Uh, the biggest owner. Not just through B-REIT, but, you know, so many other areas. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, I come away from it and I think, well, maybe the bankers are too worried. There's a very smart man. Could have come on and said, you know, there's weakness. We can't have a run on the bank. He did not say that. Right. He did not say that. Um, Exxon again, I just wanted to hit. I know we did already. Did we do the Chevron CapEx? No, we didn't come to Chevron either. So we should kind of hit both because they are both out with their plans. To, to Carl's point, organic CapEx at Chevron, $14 billion. Um, and what do you think of that? 
I don't. I'll go. I'll leave that to you. Well, I just care about the. the Mike Worth has been saying over and over again. You can buy a quarter of the company with a buyback. Uh, the stock's been terrible lately. It looks like it's rolling over. It's just so weird that the oil market is often con- often constrained by the chart. And I don't mean that negatively. There's just a lot of trend followers who are, would look at oil, say it's going down, and they sell Chevron. Uh, but Mike Worth, I'm sure, would be willing to uh, buy that Chevron. Unlike, by the way, Jonathan Gray, who did not say, we like to buy what they want to sell. We have buyers who want to take advantage of this. I didn't hear that. Right. He's up in Boston. He said he's up in Boston. Maybe he would, should well, have said, and we found buyers because it's substantially below where they want to sell. It's substantially below the worth. Buyers for the properties, you're right. saying. I mean, yeah. after I listened well, they to did him, do I that deal last, They I did like, that deal last week, the Vici deal. That was a big deal. I love the Vici deal. Um, and there the may be others for uh, in casino real estate or related assets. So there are some buyers. But again, it takes a while to, to get well, if big real estate deals done. If they're given away because they got distressed guys, then I can find buyers. I was a salesperson. Um, Just putting it up. Did we finish our conversation? I, I did want to come back Chevron, to Exxon. Exxon. 20 to $25 billion in annual capital investments. We mentioned the $17 billion now in low-carbon emission initiatives through 2027. That did go up 15%. Last year, they were at $15 billion. Now they're saying $17 billion. Uh, and again, to your point, Jim, about buybacks, um, share repurchase expanded up to $50 billion through 2024. Oh, and that includes what's been $15 billion so far this year. I mean, people, people um, should understand. I mean, Chevron's a giant company, $330 billion. But 50, you, they're in there buying stock. With oil where it is, they could say, listen, we're going to go full out drill. And they're not, because this is the new responsible way that CEOs work in the oil patch. Uh, it's certainly pushing back against what the president has said uh, back in October. They should not be using your profits to buy back stock or for dividends while a war is raging. Look, the... the Biden did an amazing job selling the SPR high, Strategic Petroleum Reserve. He deserves some kudos here. He could cover that short at a great price. He doesn't seem to take credit for it, but that's what I would say. I would say, listen, I sold high. We can buy it low for the American people. Uh, Tesla's going to be a story today, a bunch of swirling things. It's lost 172, which is not quite uh, the November low of 166. But the story, Jim, about uh, bankers considering margin loans, uh, to replace some of that high interest debt. I saw that. And, uh, I think that the great thing about the uh, collateral is it's fungible. You can do it. You can sell. You want to sell. There's a market. There's a market for the collateral for Tesla. For the debt. Well, I'm just saying. I'm sorry, I'm not look, following. Let's what? say there's a billion dollars. What is it? A billion dollars they owe in interest, okay? Yeah. So, you know, look, just take it from him. Just claim it. You know, say, listen, we're taking the Tesla stock so that we're not concerned. Stock's down in value. We're worried about the debt. Banks don't usually do that, No, they though. don't. But when I read that article, it seems like that they want to do it. They don't even have the right to do it. The article seemed to act as if well, they do. Maybe the, articles, maybe the article's not accurate. You're saying that the article? <laughs> well, no, we're reporting on Tesla being inaccurate. Yeah. I, I just feel usually like Usually, yeah. Musk will come out and say this is false. Right. That's true. Uh, uh, we maybe he hasn't gotten to it yet. He's very busy. Well, because, as we showed you on the screen, uh, reports of them shortening shifts in Shanghai, uh, delaying hiring. Another report, Jim, that they're going to maybe consider the China chief of Tesla to run the Gigafactory in Texas. 
Yeah, it's not like a shuffling of the book. This is a great company, so I didn't want to cast aspersions, but the interest cost on the Tesla loan like, for on the, the like Twitter loan, 12, right? 1.2 billion, which does uh, exceed the Twitter earnings for all of 2021. Yeah. It may have been an ill-advised purchase for all I know. 44 billion for Twitter. I, it may I, have been I, ill-advised purchase. Yeah. Because it's probably worth, what, 20? I don't 15? have any idea what it's worth. I mean, at some point, I guess we'll get some financials. He's got outside investors, so one would expect we'll, we'll see something. But and I'm sure it won't be pretty at first, but they're gonna make you pay it's Musk. Check you never know what it's going to look like a are, couple of years from now. Are they now. paying you for the check mark or are you paying them for the check mark? I can't figure that out. Well, and speaking of, uh, of Twitter, uh, this story in the Journal Gym about Salesforce and the disagreements that Benioff and Taylor had about how Taylor was spending his time. Well, I mean, you know, Taylor was involved in maybe the great civil war, to quote uh, President Lincoln. I mean, Taylor was, well, he's a chairman. He took the job, you know, roughly the same time. I think that he owed a tremendous. I, I wish he had resigned as chairman, but that's he's not. He's an honorable person. He is. But that was a full-time job, being but, chairman of a company under but assault. Then, but then it stopped because he obviously stepped off. But then he still left, even after that responsibility was no longer his. I think I, um, there are unanswered questions. Can we talk for a minute about the stock price itself, Jim? Of what? What you're looking at right there? No. <laughs> Just kidding. Uh, right, wait, um, chef, no. Wait, I mean, you've got Starboard no, no, in there. No, no, no. You've, got, you've got, uh, no, you know, no. a, a, I mean, this is this no. has turned into a real route, man. It is a route. The long down are out. this year, and you can take a look at two years. No, it's um, been one of the great growth companies, but I've liked it since eight. But this is an example of the a I, classic round trip. Do you and think at some point things with Jeff Smith at Starboard become less constructive between Benioff they, and Smith? It is con- well, it's constructive one, it's, now. From both sides, I understand it's constructive. But at this point, I think that constructive would be, can we figure out how to make it so that the stock goes higher? Yeah. As opposed to just saying, you know what? Everything's fine. We need to know, I mean, is business good? And what would, well, that, yes. what would that be? Well, I think Do you they, agree with some of the I assumptions pr- he's making in pr- terms of pr- just let's get profitability up because it lags peers? I like companies right now in this moment, not to be specific to Salesforce, where the expenses are far more under control than the revenues. Uh, not unlike uh, Mark Zuckerberg, who did come out and say, look, our expenses are out of line with our revenues. I'd like to hear that. But I'm, but you know what? We gotta, what you really have to do is you have to grill Mark on it. Yeah. Uh, downgraded today, by the way, over at Baird. Uh, macro headwinds and right. the departures they say uh, could portend execution risk. But, you know, Butterfield stayed a little bit longer than I thought he would. That's when they bought Slack. Yep. Uh, all right, I'm going to posit something. Maybe, just maybe, it's a bargain. It's got a real business, $40 billion, basically in cash. It's done quite well. The product's very good. Well, and if, and if you're right about some headwinds like currencies turning around next currencies year. Currencies yeah. was six percent. People were saying the profit fourteen percent is the lowest ever. But if you add back the currency, you're talking about nineteen to twenty percent of a right. great growth company. My charitable trust owns it, and not frankly, if I had a few more answers, I'd probably want to buy more. That, I know that um, is against the grain, but this is not Carvana. Can we put up the chart of Carvana? I want to show two, two different. <laughs> I want to show two charts that look exactly the same, but one is better than the other. Well, Carvana is down ninety nine percent from like. Uh, yeah, there it is. All right. Sorry, I was off by a uh, point 
No. But yeah, 98.4%. My question strategy, strategy was The joke this morning is it went from 383 to 383. Right. Yeah, yes. Yeah. But just I just say, look, okay, so there, there's a, you want to go there? You want to go long knife? Put up micro strategy, to, uh, 1999 to 2001. You want to go real long knives? How about the fact that Salesforce is amazingly profitable? Not, a, not real money. Right. Not a, adjusted to what GE under Imelt was doing. It's not like that. Understood. Okay, Understood. The, the Bulgarian real estate is marked correctly. Okay, that's good to hear. How about the Polish real estate? Is that hanging in there? Polish real estate is up from when we bought it. All those apartments? <laughs> um, the guys, Mexican real estate? You know, like, I remember them talking to them. I don't know concern about Mexican real estate. I'm marking my own balance sheet down 40%. They were up 20%. This, my houses were better than their houses. I remember an interview I did with GE CFO Keith Sharon in, I think, March of 09. Stock did we was, really have to go into that, sorry, David? About that? And it led off with Polish real estate. No, I remember that. Do you remember that? The Bulgarian. I'm not sure they knew they had the Bulgarian. I knew they had the Bulgarian. I knew their neighborhoods in Mexico that they were buying homes. They were buying. They had homes that were so overvalued, but it wasn't. It was really that long-term care that wasn't a problem. Remember that that was not a problem. It was asterisk. Yeah, it was an asterisk that kept just moving up until it became 15 billion dollars. I'm saying Um, that Salesforce has real accounting with real profits. And that, that perhaps it's a buy, not a sell. Guys, uh, before we... You going we, back to Jonathan Gray or are you going back no, to Exxon? No, not, I'm going somewhere new. We talk really? a lot about Twitter as a private company. Can you stop? We, no, uh-huh. we don't talk as often about TikTok. Uh, and these states combating TikTok Indiana. more often. Indiana, South Dakota, Maryland. Maryland. Larry Hogan was a yeah, guest Larry earlier on, um, on... And then, of course, the federal government, where you've got... You know, a, a, a decent number of senators who want to see the thing banned. You've got the Biden administration still trying to work through some sort of national security plan that would allow TikTok and its owner ByteDance to be maintained in the U.S., but obviously under certain restrictions. But, Jim, the question is, is there a potential trade here for Meta, Snap, and others I, I, look, who will clearly, if this were to happen, be enormous beneficiaries? I've gone to them at Meta. I said, isn't this a great opportunity to talk about how Reels is the one you should go to? Um, but in the self-defeating way that that company's been exact, acting, they came back with nothing. I can actually, I would like to actually mention the people who have not been helpful, but I'm going to spare them that, that great opportunity to be embarrassed mm. and red-faced and go home to their spouses and say, you know what, Kramer humiliated me beyond all reason. I'm passing on that because I am a gentleman in the, in the same if, way that Gandhi became. But if, and still what I think is the unlikely event at this point, that TikTok were banned in the U.S., there's no doubt that- unlikely. Well, I mean, it's still, it, I don't know. I don't know. Bernstein, I don't know. Bernstein it's last hard week, to know. The, the Bernstein desk, finally, I'm starting to believe that yeah. a TikTok ban might actually happen. I mean, well, they should, Reels should come out and say, made in America. But Jim, Meta goes up no matter what on that. I mean, it's not like but Instagram is not going to have a- Europe doesn't want you to be able to, you know, really advertise well. Can we just say that Meta was really kind of destroyed by Apple and they're trying to make a revamp, you know, kind of come back. Meta makes a lot of money, too. Another profit. Oh, there's a story in the Times yesterday about how some employees there <laughs> want Zuckerberg to make a run at a Twitter uh, rival, right? Get them where their bread and butter is, as one employee wrote. Well, I guess so. Can we put up a chart of Meta and Salesforce and Carvana? <laughs> you want to make yourself feel better? No, 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 no. Oh, Schadenfreude? No. I, look, I've, I've liked Salesforce since eight. The crime I committed is what Karen Kramer once told me about. She, didn't she, sell. Said, she said there is nothing worse, including some of the things subsequently, than letting a gain turn into a loss. 
Well, you, you still have 120 points to go on Salesforce, so I think you're looking okay. You know what? I'm going to go take my Salesforce charitable trust and go buy some of the B-Read that is substantially undervalued by Jonathan <laughs> Gretton. I don't, I don't know. know. I mean, like, I listened to an interview this morning with a guy by the name of Mr. Wonderful, grilled by our own people. Got some and eyeballs I, today. And, and I, I was actually, um, I, I felt it was a suboptimal, suboptimal situation developing there on the show. Yeah. Yeah. Distinctly. Uh, we got most of these sectors uh, playing some risk on energy, financials, industrials, tech. Let's get to Bob Pisani this morning. Hey, Bob. Yes, it's nice to see financials in particularly stabilized because you had a really rocky start to the week ahead of that Goldman Sachs Financial Services Conference. And it's not that anybody was particularly gloomy, just cautious was enough to drop some of those big regional stocks, five, six, even seven percent. We're all up on the major averages. Look at the movers. And once again, I call it the little engine uh, that could that KWEB, the China Internet just keeps going. You think like, OK, we already know the story. Put that back up. I want to talk about that, uh, the story with what's going on with China. But there it is. Uh, it's been rallying for a couple of weeks now, really since the end of October. Uh, energy better metals and mining. There's the reopening. There's a China story. Uh, Woods Arc Innovation down a little bit. Remember, uh, Tesla's down today. And as I said, banks have stabilized, and that's certainly a good sign. If you think this China reopening story has played out, look at the movers on the S&P 500. It's all China play stuff. Look, uh, no, sorry, there's the Hang Seng. Look, look at what's going on here. Here's the Hang Seng moving on that. Uh, again, on the China reopening story. But look at the big movers here. Las Vegas Sands, $49. That's a new high for uh, Las Vegas Sands. Wind Resorts is moving up. That's not a new high. But Freeport, that's another classic China play. Freeport was uh, $28 six weeks ago. Now it's $39. Uh, metals and mining stocks. Every day I put up the XME. They keep moving. Steel stocks keep moving. Uh, and there's Halliburton also. So these are the big, uh, the S&P 500 leaders and the majority there are moving on the China play right now. So uh, as I mentioned, it, Hang Seng was up 3% overnight. Uh, Shanghai and Shenzhen were down a little bit, but they've rallied. This has been a big rally in China. Remember, most of the, uh, of the developed world is short China. So the Hang Seng has rallied 30 percent in we're talking five weeks or so. The Shenzhen, uh, which is sort of like the Nasdaq, uh, Shanghai is moving. You notice the Shanghai hasn't moved as much. The Shanghai has a lot of the state owned enterprises, uh, older companies. The Hang Seng, uh, a little bit different. It's mostly owned by foreign investors and they've been underweight the, the outside of China. China investors have been underweight, shorting China all year. Now, some of this may, in fact, be short covering that we've seen reason that the Hang Seng has been moving up so much. So the shorts are getting run over a little bit in the last few weeks on the reopening story. Um, speaking of heavy volume, we saw heavy volume in K-Web, as I mentioned, but we've seen heavy volume in some very interesting sectors. I follow ETFs. Now, Tesla is right near a two-year low right now. Of course, we've got issues with Shanghai production today. The headline is, this is one of the hot ETFs of the year. This is the Tesla... Uh, bear ETF. So if Tesla is down 1%, this goes up 1%. You get the inverse of Tesla and it resets on a daily basis. Very important to note that. This has been a monster. It's up about 40% since the end of October. It's had big inflows. This is played by the daily people who want to uh, play around with Tesla. Speaking of um, messing around, GameStop uh, has broken some very important support recently. Of course, we had the earnings report out. It was a little disappointing. Not that that means much. How, we have, what, three analysts covering GameStop these days? But GameStop's been in a 24 to 28 range for a long time now. And when it broke below that, Carl, particularly when it hit 22 uh, in the last day or two, we saw some uh, accelerated uh, movement there. So, yes, 
technicals very much matter in a stock like GameStop. Carl, back to you. All right, Bob, thanks so much. Bob Bassani this morning. As we go to break, let's take a look at bonds today. Of course, uh, the big number of the week is tomorrow. That's PPI and UMICH inflation expectations. But for now, yields are mostly higher. Still watching that inversion between two's tens, uh, the highest in several decades. We'll be right back. From pit lane to podium, the Las Vegas Grand Prix is providing fans a race day experience at the speed they deserve. With the help of T-Mobile for Business, our 5G advanced network solutions are powering race day operations with event-wide connectivity. From streamlined gate entry to an immersive app, giving fans blazing fast access to the sport they love. This is accelerating innovation. This is the Las Vegas Grand Prix with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now. Take a look at the markets this morning. We have not had a single session this month in which all three stock indices, major indices, have closed higher. We'll see if we can do it today. Last one was November 30. We'll get stopped trading with Jim in a moment. Jim, what is on MAD tonight? I'm going to go see Mark Benioff. He's in town. He's at the Javits Center. I'm going to sit down, get answers. I think we all deserve answers. My Chapel Trust deserves answers. People uh, out there deserve answers. The answers may be positive. Uh, it may turn out that it's an opportunity. Uh, someone, I wish Jonathan Gray had said, listen, here's a great opportunity. Buy some homes. I think that Mark Benioff, like, going to find out the journal article was very, very disturbing. Journal article basically talked about how a company that may be uh, div- divisive, where perhaps they're not able to do what they uh, should because of the, of the fighting and the inability to have a co-CEO. Let's get some answers. And maybe the answers are going to be that this is an opportunity, or maybe the answers are going to be, you know what, it's uh, crypto, it's, 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 it's kryptonite. You've not made up your mind, at least not right I, now. I, I like to have as many answers as possible to things that are concerning to our viewers. And am I, am I uh, sanguine about the situation? I think that that would show a level of a lack of rigor that I'd like to think I'm um, beyond. All right, Jim. There we go. See you tonight. Okay. Six Thank o'clock. You. It's going to be a good interview. Yeah, I can't Thank wait. You. Thank you. Uh, Mad Money, 6 p.m. Eastern time. When we come back, don't miss our exclusive interview with the CEO of Unilever, reportedly weighing the sale of some ice cream brands worth around $3 billion as the Bulls finally have some green arrows to talk about after five days down. We're back in a moment. You've been listening to the opening bell on CNBC's Squawk on the Street. From a flat tire in the city to a dead battery on a distant drive, AAA is partnering with T-Mobile for Business to accelerate response times and get more drivers back on the road fast. Our nationwide connectivity powers location telematics, so AAA's fleet can find stranded drivers quickly while being fully equipped with the in-vehicle tools to have answers when they get there. This is elevating the member experience. This is AAA with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now. 